I can't do any type of Jack Nicholson Sly Rax impressions. I'm sorry. And I know Jason will be dubbing that in to save me. I made a small little comment there. T-Bob complains. Oh, what a surprise. Right. And that's the second time we've seen uh, Rax's his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> at least we know he changes his underwear. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least between two episodes. Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, Vehicle code name 6000. 80 screw skills critical. Wyatt Bloom, broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co writer. Vehicle code name Phoenix. 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, listeners, to MassCast 46 and another episode review of the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. In this podcast, we will continue our fourth season journey of MassCast, covering episodes 31 through 40, with episode 33, Caesar's Sword. Coming up, you'll hear our play-by-play commentary mixed in with audio clips from the episode. We'll also give our personal ratings and review of the good and bad parts of the episode. And as always, we'll read your listener feedback on the air via our agentsofmask.com website. All of our listeners are invited to interact with us prior to each podcast by clicking on the MassCast assignment in the right-hand column on our homepage. Listener feedback includes voting in our 1 to 5 rating poll and views left in the comments section. And don't forget, if you want to listen to our recording sessions now, be looking for the Google Hangout invitation in our Facebook and Twitter feeds, or connect with us over on our YouTube channel. The Caesar Sword episode was originally broadcast on my ninth birthday, November 13th, 1985 in the U.S., and features Sly Rax posing as Julius Caesar's ghost in order to scare off archaeologists who have discovered the long-lost Sword of Victory. It's up to Mask to stop Venom from possessing the sword and the mystical power that goes with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jason, and with me as always is my longtime friend and co-host, the Slimer to my Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Wyatt, have you uh, busted any ghosts lately? Well, I haven't busted any ghosts. I'm a ghost myself, if I'm Slimer. <laughs> true. Very true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more like the guy that you see in the hallway going, gang, 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 munching <laughs> on a peanut butter jelly sandwich or something, and scaring the, the pants off of poor old uh, uh, Peter. Uh, Bill Murray. Yeah, Peter Ray. Peter. Frank <laughs> Come in, Ray. He's here, Ray. I, uh, well... We had a little reference to Ghostbusters in this episode. I thought it would be fun to talk about Ghostbusters again. And, um, I got a chance actually to take my oldest son to 
see it in the theater last year for its 30th anniversary. That was really, uh, that was a real thrill. I bet. Um, it was actually one of the first movies I ever saw in the theater as a kid. So taking him along with me, that was, that was really fun. I bet. But uh, what do you think about all this news coming out with this uh, reboot with an all-female cast? I haven't got your opinion on that yet. Well, uh, I, I guess I'm not. Please don't, listeners, don't take me sexist or anything like that. It's just odd because, as listeners, we all can can attest that we like the original. We like the original cast, so we always think about that. So don't dispel that I'm saying it's sexist or anything like that. Uh, I'm more shocked that it's an all-female cast. It's probably the right wording for me. I'm eager. I'm still interested to see how they perform, how they do, how how uh, they'll play out, if there's going to be any similarities. Kind of like a, a sister of Bankman or sister of Egon, or if it's completely just like a new talent to the old group. Are they like, are the old guys teaching the... the the women how to run the business now. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really, I'm really in the dark. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how well it turns out. Uh, I'm not skeptical by any means, but you know, we can all attest as as avid, especially the avid '80s gurus like Jason and I, we can t- attest to how they reboot some of the classics. Uh, for myself, it took me a while to humble myself. That's probably the right word I'll use to watch the new Dukes of Hazard movie that came out. I was unimpressed with the storyline. Of course, I know that they made up the storyline in Dukes of Hazard the original, so I understand that. But the the amount of cursing, uh, I deal with that every day in the military. I need a break now and then, I'm sorry. So that was just ex- absurd. The only thing I liked in that movie was the stunts. With the general generally, league. That's, yeah. that's all I cared about. The rest of it, they could have nixed and saved myself a lot of headache. But that's just one example. You know, there's a lot of talk. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, on an Airwolf forum right now, and I'm seeing a lot of backlash about them wanting to reboot. And there, it's just rumor mill. It's not, there's nothing even remotely yeah. concrete. But there's a lot of backlash saying, just keep it original. Don't mess with it. And you and I can attest to the, to the Transformers movie. Um, it was good. In my opinion, the movie was good, had good animation, especially the, the first one of the of Michael Bay series. But as people that were, I will call us truists, 80s of Transformers, we were kind of teed off, to put it lightly, that Optimus was not a cab over, that Megatron was not a pistol or a gun of some sort. As cool as Bumblebee was, is as a Camaro... It was kind of odd to see him not as a little uh, bug, and we don't even have the original boy. They come up with a whole new Wiggy storyline instead of. I'm yeah. trying to think of the original character's name now. It was uh, Spike and Spike. his dad. Uh, his dad might have been Spike. I can't remember the boy's name. But there was actually, I think it was in the. It was after the animated. Transformers movie came out that there was a wiki person actually involved in the story so that name did have some meaning okay. Transformers more but I, I understand where you're coming from you know you're saying that I, I, well, not, I shouldn't go off on a tangent but you know like too late too late <laughs> so like like Knight Rider 
when they came out with the 08, 2008, 2009 new series, a lot of people were, again, I'll use a light word, teed off, that Kit was a Ford, Ford Mustang, instead of some new car or a new GM line car, even though Pontiac had died off, they could have used a new GM car. Well, it took me a while to figure this out, but there was a small little storyline, just like you're saying about Wick Wiggy. There was a storyline where they had a team night rider. Again, it only lasted a season, mm-hmm. but the team night rider, the new kit, was actually a Mustang. It was a, I want to say it was a early to mid 90s style Mustang. So after I did some research looking at it, I'm like, okay, I can now kind of understand why they picked the Mustang now. Yeah. But me first watching it, yeah, I wasn't happy. I'll be honest. I wanted to see, even though they gave a glance at the Pontiac uh, fenders and such, I was hoping they'd use at least a Camaro or something, just just because. But that's just my preference, and I'm not the writer of that movie or TV show. Uh, what is your impression? I know you've had some write-ups and such, but what's your take on the getting well, back on the train track that's left us really derailed <laughs> of Ghostbusters? Yeah, coming coming back around. I I'm not... I'm not. I'm kind of in the middle, I guess you would say. Um, You're always in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting to hear more. In other words, and from what I hear, it's. I don't know if they're going to use any of the backstory or any of the original story at all with this one. All I want is some references to it. Um, maybe using some of the same style equipment. You know. Uh, even if they put a Slimer in there, you know, or give a nod to the Ecto-1, the original, that's that's another big question. What, right. what vehicle are they going to use, you know? Are they going to use a vehicle at all? Yeah. So if those little nuances are in the this reboot, I'll, I'll watch it, and I'll probably enjoy it more than just totally throwing it away because of they're all females, you know? I. That really doesn't matter to me as long as the, all the bells and whistles of the old Ghostbusters are, are Right, there. and that's kind of my take, really, when it when it comes down to it. That's my take. As long as the bells and whistles are there, I don't care who they cast. Right, and then so. a story just came out last week about Dan Aykroyd, who has supposedly had a Ghostbusters 3 script on hand for years, you know, been trying to put it together and, and get it going. But he thinks that the rejuvenation or whatever from this reboot might give it more hope to actually use his script and maybe somehow work uh, their way back into the traditional story or whatever that he has using the same characters and stuff. So that was interesting to to hear. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, or I don't even know if they'll make one past uh, this one with the, with the ladies, but I just want some nice, uh, references and stuff to the original and I'll, I'll, I probably won't see it in theater but unless it's you know it's really good uh, raves and reviews from my friends um, <laughs> I'll probably just wait until it comes out on Netflix or, or video or something But that's me anyway. I'm too cheap anymore <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm a cheapskate when it comes to that stuff uh, You, it really has to be really captivating like you say before yeah. I, I make a well, this year, I'm, I know I'm definitely going to be in the theater a few times for... We'll probably go and see The Avengers, uh, the second one when that comes out. Um, I think that comes out in May. And then uh, Jurassic World, I want to see that pretty bad. 
me and the boys are all into the Jurassic Park movies, and we've watched them all. We're excited about that. And then you've got the new James Bond comes out in November. Oh, that's I've already, right. I've already set up a date with my wife to go see that one. That's uh, kind of our tradition when the new Bond movies come out. We go opening weekend to see it. And then Star Wars is Christmas, um, at least for now. I know that J.J. Abrams, the director, was trying to move it up a little bit. But those are four big ones for me this year that I know I'll probably be in the theater for those ones come heck or high water. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've uh, let's get quickly into our... Most wonderful segment. Get your mask on. Get your mask on. So a uh, project on the Lego Ideas website recently caught my eye as I found a Thunderhawk worthy of my support. Um, the project leader wants it to be like a 30th anniversary edition, and it features some similar construction to a set that I actually own, which is the Back to the Future DeLorean with the gullwing doors that open up, and uh, I also heard from a couple people that, you know, since Hasbro owns Mask and also owns the Creo building sets, it's probably unlikely that, you know, this set will actually be created through Lego, but it would still be fun to see it reach the goal of 10,000 supporters, you know, and have, like, official word and stuff come down from Lego. There's, I think there's certain points on this uh, Lego Ideas website where once it gets to 1,000, they officially come in, and once it gets to 5,000 or something like that. Anyway, um, it was really cool. If you want to check that out, go over to agentsofmass.com on our homepage, and you can scroll through the recent posts there to find the, the article with the link directly to the project and go support that. And uh, Wyatt, my friend, MassCast is now up to 50 total episodes in our archive. Um, even though this is technically MassCast 46, we split up the collecting podcast, which I think was number 22 into like three parts. Yes. We still have the Meet the Writers as our first podcast uh, up in the archive there before it was even called MassCast. But anyway, just wanted to invite everybody to go explore the archive between shows and help us spread the word about the podcast with the addition of the MassCast chat episodes. Um, this is our fifth podcast already this year, so we're excited to keep cranking out new content and hope you will uh, catch up on any missed podcasts in the uh, archive, which you can find, obviously, on iTunes and Stitcher, and there's also uh, an archive on our website if you want to just grab them off the web, save them as an MP3. And then finally, on a somber note, we didn't get any word from Toy Fair about a potential mask comeback or any 30th uh, anniversary merchandise. We'll keep our ear to the ground and let everybody know if we happen to catch any more rumors or definitely any official word from Hasbro about... Uh, anything coming out this year, but I'm, I'm kind of crossing my fingers on that one that uh, we'll be pleasantly surprised here before too long, and even if it's uh, maybe towards the 30th anniversary in September, that they even make a, an announcement or something, I mean, that would be fine if we don't get anything produced this year, but right. it was, uh, yeah, well, I was hoping maybe we would hear something, but who knows, uh, 
I was looking through actually a uh, Hasbro PowerPoint uh, from uh, Toy Fair, their little presentation to their investors today, and they had a couple logos on there that kind of surprised me. One of them was the Micronauts. I don't know if you remember that franchise. Um, it kind of died off in the early 80s, and it was little, I think there were three and three-quarter inch figures that were robots or something. I don't even much remember it myself, but a few years ago, uh, Hasbro bought the rights and we're going to produce a movie. And you remember that comic book, too, that mask just happened to pop in that was from that, um, I think it was from New York Comic Con in 2011 or something? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the Micronauts were in there, too. So it seemed just odd to have that in there. PowerPoint slide because when I googled it today to see anything that they're doing with it, nothing really came up. No announcements, no, you know, about toys or a movie or anything. So eh, I think they've got a couple things up their sleeve that um, maybe we'll still get a chance to get some uh, new mask stuff this year. So yeah, I'm not. I'm looking it up right now, and I uh, this must have been one of those turbo boost moments because I don't remember any of this at all. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, it was like late 70s, early 80s in that, that realm. It's saying but, 79 is when it started out. So Yeah, okay. But uh, anyway, well, um, I guess we're done with uh, getting our mask on. Uh, you ready to put on your proton pack and, and do some ghost busting? I am ready to start. I was going to say Ghostbusters, but it's really not. The Mask Cast! So we come upon a city scene. Finally, something other than mountains. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, like I said, they must have been on vacation or dreaming of a mountain getaway. I don't know what was going on for four, four straight episodes of all. That was crazy. Anyway, so we come upon a city scene and are taken to Thunderhawk passing by with a small pass of the occupants, which is actually kind of a cool uh, shot there. We have T-Bob, Bruce... Scott, and finally Matt Tracker, driving, of course, his beloved vehicle. We learn quickly that they are passing through Rome, Italy, as T-Bob asks what a certain building is. Ooh, what's that place? Don't you know? It's the Colosseum. Supposed to be one of Rome's oldest buildings. Ooh, well, they're gonna have to fix it up if they ever expect to attract a major league franchise. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, actually. It was actually comical, and I know eons ago when we were in school when I saw that I had kind of a passing thought of you know when are they ever going to fix that up until you know we actually got the history lesson what it was there for yeah. um, but uh, nonetheless Scott chuckles but there is no audible laughter there Matt comments that Scott should like the next site as Professor Pontifone has some unusual artifacts in the next scene we come upon a construction site as the men are positioning what looks to be a relic, uh, relic columns, rather, a mist appears from the ground. Careful! Stay back! What is it? There are two construction aides uh, immediately envisioned uh, that back away as the professor simply looks on for a brief moment. The mist changes to rings, like hypnotic-type rings, and mm -hmm. a white-robed man appears. Then all of a sudden we see four construction workers kind of appear. 
I was a little baffled by that. We had two aides, uh, I would say one in the crane, and I don't know where the fourth guy came from. So that's what I was a little yeah, minor minor tick, but like baffled about. Didn't notice that at all. Then the road man says, Plebeians, the Palatine Hill is my arresting place. How dare you disturb it? And he sounded eerily like Sly Rax. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the professor asks his identity, to which he replies, the most powerful general of the ages, Julius Caesar. He also indicates that he's quite ticked. With the pointing of his finger, he shoots a laser at the crane's pulley line, severing it, which sends one of the columns crashing to the ground. If you refuse to obey me, you shall suffer my wrath. They all flee prior to the command to depart and never return. Okay, I can't do uh, I can't do any type of Jack Nicholson Sly Rex impressions. I'm sorry, and I know Jason will be dubbing that in to save me the save me the face I have left. Yeah, I I enjoyed the the beginning. Did you notice what kind of threw me for a loop? Like right off the bat was when Thunderhawk was going into town. It the wheels were totally black. There was no hubcaps or anything. Uh, no, I I noticed that, but I, I guess I attributed it to being animated. But in, now that you mentioned motion, it, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was completely dark. It wasn't like it was you know, uh, circles or something to make it look like animation. Yeah, it was, I don't know. It, that was... Well, something else that bothers me, but I don't ever ding it, is how they draw up, especially later on, how they draw up Thunderhawk and even Hurricane or Night Stalker. They... It's like they're cheating the artwork. I mean, I'm 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 yeah. going a little beyond, but it, just like they got Thunderhawk and, and it's, especially those him and uh, Nightstarker kind of got cheated out of the drawing detail. Yeah, they do take some shortcuts sometimes, and sometimes it's just to fit it in the scene, you know. True. I think especially when you've got a, a nice panorama of the vehicles, they. And squeeze them in there sometimes, it seems. And I mean, that's even why um, I started doing those panoramas because there's some nice long sweeping shots mm -hmm. throughout the series. And putting it all together, you know, there's no uh, <laughs> there's no widescreen version of Mask, you know, out there digitized, you know, for our our viewing nowadays. But <laughs> um, they, I, you know, and back then they probably had to take some shortcuts to do. Some oh yeah, I, I imagine that. Shots, but I, it, it is kind of a tick with me too sometimes seeing. Stuff well, I guess it's a tick because I've been watching a lot of, uh, and forgive me, but I've been watching a lot of Disney. Mm -hmm. So I've been watching a lot of Mickey Mouse, and I'm just—it's like a night and day difference when you're looking at the detail they put into yeah. even the old school Mickey Mouse. You know, when they actually would beat each other up. I just go back to look at Mask going, wow. Even Transformers, I'm going, wow. They just really shortcutted a lot of things yeah, yeah, to get yeah. it to fit. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, uh, it's okay. Well, uh, going back to the scene, um, we now have uh, Matt on the scene after Caesar disappears and the men and the professor scurried away. 
the professor tells Matt uh, his men were afraid to come back to work. And Scott comments, I'd love to meet a ghost. Did you know some of them can even walk through a solid wall? If we met a ghost, you'd see me walk through a wall. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> Scott then finds a coin on the ground, and he thinks it's made of gold. And he reads the Italian inscription on the coin and, and wonders what it says. T-Bob hopes it says, finders keepers, those are sweepers. Okay, that was a roll. That was a roll my eyes moment there on that joke. Anyway, um, Bruce, who's on hand with Matt, notices something strange about the hook from the crane. Take a look at this, Matt. What do you think? Hmm, something fishy about that hook. Would you mind if I had the hook analyzed by some uh, friends of mine? Your help is always welcome. He's still, you know, keeping undercover. Of course. Professor says, be my guest, as Scott walks up and asks if uh, the professor will analyze the inscription on his coin. The professor says it's bronze, not gold, and people find them all over Palantine Hill. And Scott kind of groans that it's not some rare, you know, coin or whatever. Right. We go back inside Thunderhawk, and the mass computer is now analyzing this hook and says... Evidence of particle beam laser reportedly under development by Venom. I didn't, I don't know, this whole little sequence here with uh, how they could see anything wrong with this hook when he, the laser actually cut the cable or whatever. I don't know, I didn't make that connection there very well. But anyway, for, from the back seat of Thunderhawk, Scott tells Matt, Venom? Oh boy! It's a good thing you've got T-Bob and me here to help. Matt thanks him for the offer. You know, at least he exactly. was nice about it. He wasn't <laughs> totally dismissing to Scott. You know, at this point, we know Scott's pretty energetic about being a, a mask agent himself. So he was at least uh, nice when he told him to get lost. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then Matt says it's time for Mask to do some ghost busting, and he asks the computer for the best agents for the mission. Right, we get. Gloria with Shark, and for her, we need her for her background in archaeology. And we see her fling a girl to the ground in her karate class. Uh, she then just walks out with the girl lunging and flipping herself on her back. <laughs> Hondo with Night Stalker. We need him because he's a history teacher with expertise in ancient Rome. And he slides down the school banister with the kids looking at him going, what? <laughs> I like that. And uh, Bruce is obviously pre-selected, but he gets Rhino. Uh, I was interested to see how you know they only got two people back home, and they're going to get three vehicles. But I, I guess they can all just drive it each into the transport plane, right. which we we'll later see anyway. So Matt approves, but I don't approve of the alarm clock beeps of their freaking watches. This <laughs> holy cow! Another one, man. This is this worse is, and worse. It is. It's really. I don't know. It seems like it's a different sound every episode now. But they did, instead of the last couple, they used this, like, up-tempo song during the call-ups. But this time it was the traditional mask theme mm -hmm. that they used. So I was at least happy about that and rolled my eyes, I guess, at the, uh, <laughs> at the, at the stupid sound effect.
In a nearby cavern, we see Dagger gets spooked by a howling cat, which is hilarious. This one, I, I actually laughed out loud. Uh, he does this big, like, gulp and this big fear in his eyes. I loved it. Who's there? Yeah, whatever yeah. he says. That's it. He goes, he looks around carefully and asks, Who is that? A few slow paced footsteps are heard, and the, then another blood curdling cat scream. <laughs> I recall this back to or not so 80s fun of the, watching the Three Stooges, the episode Dizzy Detectives, where Curly's sitting on the rocking chair and he rocks and rocks and hits the cat's tail. <laughs> so that's what I was imagining this whole time when I'm seeing this. So that, I think that's why I was doubly laughing at this this little moment here. Anyway, panicked, he runs, then crashes into the Caesar's ghost, which turns out to be Rask in a costume. Rax insults him, calling him dumb, to which Dagger seems offended. Don't call me dumb! Sorry, numbskull. That's better! Again, another Three Stooges moment here. Yeah. An impatient Miles appears with Rax, explaining that he had to be careful not to be followed into the catacombs. He boasts about how effective his lasers were at scaring off the construction crew. Vanessa appears, scouring over his boastfulness, saying that his performance would not have gone over well had it not been for her smoke bomb. She pops another smoke bomb that pulls uh, what looks like a Marilyn Monroe updraft moment, supporting <laughs> Rax's polka dot boxers as Vanessa and Dagger get a little chuckle. Ah! Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> Idiots! Wasting time and we have work to do. That was funny. <laughs> it was, and that's the second time we've seen uh, Rax's <laughs> underwear. Yeah. Yeah, pain to power. I remember that pretty vividly. Yeah, that was pain to power. We got he got the he had the hearts that one, I think. <laughs> You're right. At least we know he changes his underwear. <laughs> well, at least between two episodes. Uh, Miles states there's work to do, and Venom will be, become invincible with the map that he must follow. We're back in Rome. We pan towards a restaurant with a waitress serving the duo two classic Italian dishes, spaghetti and meatballs and pizza. T-Bob asks where his order is. For you, T-Bobino, my extra special olive oil. Ah, that sure hit the spot. It's not extra virgin or extra. I guess they probably couldn't say that back then. Uh, so he pulls the Tin Man routine from Oz and lubes up his joints. Yeah, that's what I had that was, written down to. Or uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Spaceballs in, uh, in Dot, <laughs> Dot Matrix with the yeah. they're in the desert. Oil. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> so Scott wonders if he ordered too much as he munches, then wishes that he could have gone back to the Palatine Hills. T-Bob reminds him that Matt specifically said he didn't want them digging for bronze coins. And we see the light bulb already flickering. <laughs> hey, you're right! Oh, boy, come on, let's go! But your dad said... I know, but we're looking for gold coins. So T-Bob wonders about the food. So, you know, T-Bob doesn't even debate this. It was hilarious. So T-Bob wonders about the food. So Scott pulls open T-Bob's, I guess, storage compartment and just dumps it all into there for later. And T-Bob quips that he's been converted into doggy bag mode. Ha-ha. 
And I, well, I actually laughed out loud at that. You did? <laughs> that line, yeah, the, the doggy bag mode. I thought that was funny. And I liked it, too. They had him uh, slurping a piece of spaghetti at that one point, Scott. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was uh, fun as well. But I don't know. There's a couple times I had roll my eyes moments in this episode, but for the most part, I was laughing, <laughs> laughing along with them. Yeah, well, I laughed at the the stooge lines and then and, and the cat howling when Dagger got spooked. It was, I think that's the funniest moment I've had throughout this whole episode so far. Well, after our duo here pack up their food, we cut to Thunderhawk taking off and we get this really long sweeping shot of the transport plane with Thunderhawk at its side. And this was a really cool shot. I ended up putting this one in a panorama and posting it on uh, Facebook here this week. But that was a really cool shot. Um, Gloria and Hondo are shown in the cockpit of the transport plane with Gloria at the controls. Matt radios in and asks them, Ever hear of the sword of Caesar? Sure. When Caesar possessed the sword, Rome became a mighty empire. But when it was taken from him, he fell. And so did Rome. But it's just a legend. Apparently not. Bruce says that the professor told them an authentic map was stolen, and they think that Venom now has the inside track to find the sword. Matt is scared that they might become invincible, and Hondo kind of jokes, if it's authentic, if he'll have to change the student's grade from an <laughs> F to an A, I guess, uh, <laughs> from a previous assignment or whatever. Uh, Matt warns them not to worry about the history because if they don't stop Venom, Mask might not have a future. So uh -huh. this whole, uh, <laughs> this whole uh, scene is kind of building up the mystical power of the sword and whoever has it can't be defeated or whatever. So Thunderhawk curls away from the transport plane as it uh, falls behind. Now, you know, I, like I said, I like that they had Thunderhawk come alongside the plane, but this whole scene was kind of a little awkward. It made it seem like almost they were talking to Hondo and Gloria by just like poking their head out the window. <laughs> did yeah, you notice that? I mean, I, I did, and I was I made uh, marks on that because it just looked like they were in a way that was good because you'd see the back and forth. You see that they're talking at the plane or talking at uh, yeah. Thunderhawk and back and forth. I kind of liked that, but you're right. It looked like you know, like we saw with, uh, I think it was Dagger and, uh, uh, or maybe Rax and Miles there in the helicopter with, with Switchblade. The canopy's wide open, no mic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just looked like that's kind of what I w it reminded me of is, oh, I'm just going to chat with you even though we're screaming by at 500 mile an hour. I'm just going to yeah. chat with you. Hi, how you doing? So, and that's, that's what kind of hit me too. You know, they've got the doors open in Thunderhawk. You've got this huge jet, you know, engines screaming, <laughs> hanging, hanging off the side of this plane. How are they able to even talk at all and, you know, get any kind of <laughs> audio through whatever mics they have in uh, in Thunderhawk to get? The it's plane. Miracle Ear. They bought it late night. <laughs> I guess so. It w I guess it would work better if they had their masks on or something. And yeah. We're talking back and forth, but anyway, that was a little tick for me. But um, we head back to Palpatine Hill. Scott is now digging around through some rubble as T-Bob looks on from atop this 
like ramp or slide or something that's uh, nearby. T-Bob complains he's tired. This is exhausting. How long do you expect to keep digging through this junk? I'm worn out. I can't take it any longer. We've only been here for five minutes. Yeah, I made a small little comment there. T-Bob complains. Oh, what a surprise. Right. <laughs> yeah, T-Bob then says it seems like it's been at least ten, you know. Give him that. Well, Scott, he is digging through there, and he finds some kind of tunnel. And just about that time, of course, T-Bob slips from up on top of this, like, slide or whatever it was. He comes crashing down. He hits Scott, and they go falling through this, like, rubble down into this hole. And as they fall, we fade to our dramatic commercial. What was your uh, what's your impression so far of the episode? We're at the halfway point. Well, I am ticking it a little bit. It's still a, it's a decent storyline, um, one I can buy. I obviously like the Ghostbuster and Stooge references. I like the Thunderhawk transformation that we saw earlier, along with the back and forth and the display of the transport plane. I like that, even though it, we, we even though we were talking about how it looked like they were talking. Right. With all that noise, I know that was more of a uh, kind of a back and forth scenario. Is what they were trying to achieve there. Right. Uh, I like the clever loophole of Scott's searching for gold and not bronze. <laughs> it was a little lame, but it was still a clever little. Yeah. Leave it to him to come loop, up with something like that. Loophole that he came up with. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I love the dagger scene getting spooked. Uh, I was a little bummed. That's probably putting it mildly about the mask watch alarm beep, whatever we want to call it. It was just lame. And uh, if you look closely, when Gloria was radioing the first moment, her eyes were closed. I don't know if they I didn't notice that. They it's like they freeze framed or forgot to turn on the animation <laughs> or something like that's what it looked like. It was only maybe a second or two, but it was long enough that it was like she was looking out the window, closed eyes. Yeah, and then she starts her conversation or responds to the conversation. As a rating, uh, I'm at like a four point seven. <laughs> not I know even the a full point. half point. No, not a full half point. I'm I'm liking this so far. I really am. What about you? Oh, I agree. I thought it was pretty good so far. Only a few, you know, little annoyances. Really, the one that this you know started out the episode, like I said, with Thunderhawk's wheels not being there. Um, and you know, same as you, that different alarm sound. But I only had, like I said, that one roll my eyes moment. The plot was decent so far, although the mass computer seemed to hone in on Venom a little too easy for my liking, I guess. Um, and you know, the lengths at which Venom will go to become invincible are a little far-fetched, but hey, it's mayhem, and he'll try anything once if it gives him the upper hand on mask. We've <laughs> pretty much got that from you know the very beginning with the the Death Stone and the uh, the one with the spaceship. What was that called? I uh, can't remember that one. That was like the first couple episodes of Mask was all of those kind of mystical uh, yeah. objects that to think of it now. that uh, Mayhem was trying to was trying to do. So you know, he's this this is kind of fits within the Mask universe pretty well. Um, 
I did get some nice laughs with uh, the doggy bag mode and Vanessa smoke bomb, and you know, I did like the transport plane shot, even though, like we talked about, it seemed like they were hanging out the windows. But I'm I'm around a 4.5 on my masco meter right now, so <laughs> things are going pretty well, uh, at least better than the last couple episodes, I think, for me. So we uh, we head out of the break. Returning from the commercial, we see the duo continue to fall and scream. Then T-Bob seems to latch onto a tree root, with Scott then grabbing onto to T-Bob. With no comment about the fall, which I would have been sure that he would have said, oh, what a fall, or man, that was close, or something. There was nothing. Scott just, like, beams when he notices that there's more coins on the cavern floor. Hey, there's some more coins! Oh, wait for me! Uh, they both hop off this route and begin to examine what they find. Scott is disappointed that he found another bronze coin with T-Bob quipping that... Hey, don't feel bad. Some of my best friends are bronze. <laughs> I thought that might have been a nice little Star Wars uh, reference there to C-3PO. Yes, uh, yes. Some of his best friends are bronze. <laughs> so... A small comment, T-Bob looked like he was oddly drawn on this particular area, this particular scene. It was just He looked off to me for the drawing, just to me. Uh, anyway, Curiosity strikes Scott, and they begin to walk as T-Bob asks where they are. It's the catacombs. They're a bunch of old tunnels that run under Rome. What are you doing? We'll leave a trail of pepperoni behind us so we can follow it back out. However... His clever idea is thwarted by an even clever, more so hungry, tunnel cat. <laughs> we are taken back to Venom, where they are discussing their lack of finding this sword. Miles states that there are two likely locations. He has Vanessa and Dagger come along with him while he sends Rax on his own to <laughs> check out the catacomb location, which was kind of odd. You know, there's three to one. What? Why? Yeah. I didn't understand this. I guess maybe it's because Rax is always kind of bickering and, and no one wants to deal with him anymore. I don't know. It could be. I mean, it could be that he's probably the laziest out of all of them and he wants them to do some work for once. Maybe. <laughs> Nonetheless, you know, it wasn't like he was doing any heavy lifting anyway. He's just shooting lasers true. from his, <laughs> Fingers, from yeah. his bike. <laughs> the disgruntled... Rax replies, You expect me to dig out a catacomb by myself? You heard me. Those were my orders. Now get going. <laughs> they ride off in Manta and Jackhammer only. I don't see Piranha in this. And that's, uh, we don't see it till towards the end, but it baffled me. I, I thought maybe Rax took one or the other vehicle and then they all climbed in the other one. I didn't see, uh, like I said, I didn't see Piranha ride off. Uh, it was there leading into the scene. They descended on the uh, Venom vehicles, and all three of them were there. Were they? I missed it there. Yeah, yeah. it was right at the beginning of the scene. So back at the city, uh, some tourists are throwing coins in this fountain, and this girl tells uh, her friend about the history of the fountain as she then feels the ground shake. Did you feel something shake? Yeah, what was that? Down below we see Jackhammer using its grill guns to fire at this wall. 
It then converts with mayhem in the turret. I was thinking that was the first time we've seen mayhem up in the uh, jackhammer turret. Yes. Since we've been uh, reviewing the series. Um, he starts blasting at the wall, saying there might be some hidden chamber behind it. People above ground uh, are now scattering as this fountain begins to collapse. Matt, I picked up a police report. There's trouble at Trevi Fountain. Matt radios over to Gloria that she's the closest and should pursue it. Uh, up ahead, a woman is now the same woman from before. She's being sucked down this large crack in the ground. The shark appears now with Gloria saying she thirsts for adventure or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's what it was, thirst for adventure. It was a, that was a roll of my eyes uh, battle cry there. But uh, <laughs> Shark uh, converts and, I guess, flies overhead and... Yeah, that one didn't make sense because you don't see Shark after that. No, it... I don't know, it was weird. Um, Gloria calls for her mask. Mask! Aura! On! And then she uses the aura to funnel the water away from this woman from, like... <laughs> Essentially, she's going down a drain uh, in, the, right. in this road, and she funnels the water away from her to save her. And uh, this man asks if she's okay, and she says uh, next time they'll go <laughs> to the desert instead of Rome, <laughs> uh, tourists. But, yeah, this whole scene with Shark, I think of it more of as an underwater vehicle, and having it convert there and kind of fly overhead, I was like, does it fly too, or...? I've never seen a fly before, but maybe it gets a longer hop. Something, you know, like, like like Kit and Turbo Boost versus General Lee and the dip. You know, Turbo Boost gets a little longer hop. I don't know. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm reaching there. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It was it was kind of different there, but anyway. Yeah. But then we get uh, Night Stalker and Rhino arriving on the scene, and Hondo notices that Jackhammer is below. There's Venom, right under our noses. Defense mode, mask. Lifter, on! And then we see Lifter lowering onto Bruce, and he activates it basically through the windshield of Rhino to first uh, pick up a, this piece of the road, and then he is able to somehow pick up Jackhammer uh, out from under this uh, path, this catacomb in the ground, and basically plops it down on the street up above. And I wasn't fond of this sequence, really. The first you know, the lifter sound was different than what yes. we're normally hearing from it. And second, we've never seen lifter pick up like two separate things at once. We've seen like it pick up debris, that was falling, you know, like a bunch of rocks is coming off a cliff. Right. Um, I think it was the, it might have been the Secret of Life episode where some rocks are falling off a I think that's it, pyramid yeah. towards a bus, you know. And right. He, I think he moves the bus actually in that one. But anyway, we've seen it pick up like debris before, but it was like it picked up this and then it picked up another thing separately. I don't know. Just 
it seemed weird to me that yeah do that. But anyway, um, then we get mayhem wondering what's going on, and then he notices that mask is on hand. Mask! What are they doing here? Time to burn rubber. He transforms Night Stalker, then jettisons his spare tire, which lands in front of Jackhammer. Dagger quickly re-engages the hood shield, even saying the command, which was actually pretty cool. Yeah, never seen that one before either. No. Then it, the the tire comically rolls up the Bronco and smacking Mayhem right in the face. That was, <laughs> Now that was hilarious. And it I even looked like he left a like a tread mark or something on his yeah. head. Not sure how it did that with the cover on it, but <laughs> his face was still red uh, after he got... <laughs> Yeah, that was hilarious. I liked it. So Vanessa is screaming by in Manta and identifies Thunderhawk being on her tail, which that seems odd that she knows the name of the vehicle. She transforms Manta into jet mode and flies off with Thunderhawk doing the same. The two jets split in their chase with Vanessa making a threat to call off Mask or the forum will get it. Call off your team, or the forum will start tumbling. Gloria, Hondo, Bruce, let them go. Manta transforms back to car mode as it lands, which actually was pretty, pretty sweet. It landed like in a tight space there under these trees, too. It it did, and what you know, I realize we're reaching here for cartoon and such, but yeah, have you ever paid attention how? Manta actually transforms. The wings have to actually flip and rotate around. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's, I mean, it's not a, the most practical jet car combination. <laughs> no, it, it it definitely is uh, is different than the actual toy too, because the the wings are on like hinges almost under the car that flip out, and this is totally different. And yeah. the way the engine, the the rear engines also come out is a little bit different as well and how that back kind of folds in half right. to open up to the engines. But, yeah, I, I did like there was a brief moment there where Manta and Thunderhawk are flying amongst these ruins, and yes. I thought that was really good. I agree. We are then taken back to Rax, and here's where he, he makes a bit of sense with uh, Piranha. Like I said, I didn't see it in the scene, so now I see Piranha. He's there. He's took off in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, Rax is blasting through, a, of course, a different wall. He's unaware of what's going on above ground. As he melts through the wall, Rax is aghast as he sees the sword, even taking off his cool Ray-Bans. <laughs> that, that was a great moment. I think I actually used that in that, uh, <laughs> that one little video where he's doing all the crashes. Oh, and... yeah. I made it look like he was doing that to Vanessa when <laughs> she was in her dress. But, yeah, it's strange to, you know something's up when he takes off his sunglasses. Yeah. Elated, he picks up the sword, and his first comments begin with that Mayhem would be glad when he gives it to him. But then he quickly says, why should he? He's tired of being ordered around. Yeah. He keeps the sword. He'll be as powerful as Caesar. Uh, just then, <laughs> Mayhem calls Rax on the walkie-talkie. Yeah? This is Mayhem. Report your progress. 
bug off. What? What? Hey, rats! Did he say what I thought he said? He did. And there can be only one explanation. <laughs> and I love it. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I actually liked uh, Dagger's reaction. It was like, did he just say what I think he said? Right. Which is hilarious because I'm thinking, you know, more adult-wise when that, when someone says that, I'm thinking, did he just say, wow. But it was hilarious nonetheless. Oh, I like that. That's great. just funnier than I remember it. It's been a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So we're back to our dynamic duo. Scott is dismayed as they have not found one treasure yet. What a drag. We might as well go back. Good idea. Besides, oh, we're almost down to our last anchovy. They turn around and discover that their trail has disappeared. And then we hear another little quick burp with T-Bob. <laughs> this is, I laughed at this one. T-Bob asking if you heard a cat burp. Did you hear a cat burp? I'm afraid so. Look. That was kind of odd. <laughs> They, uh, How does he know what a cat burp sounds like? I know, I and I actually, I, I, I'm still chuckling now. You can hear me. Uh, they turn and see the cat come up and burp again as it lays down. I guess he's fat and happy now. Uh, T-Bob wonders why they didn't order Chinese. Scott, <laughs> Scott begins to say, you know what this means with T-Bob responding that they don't have a found apartment down there. Yeah. Ha ha. And here's where they come back up on... Uh, Rax, who is like polishing off this sword, I'm assuming it's been a little dusty down there. And I'm sure. By this time, too, I think we forgot to mention that Mayhem is kind of on to Rax, and there's only one reason that he would have told him to bug off. It's because he found the sword, so they're right. trying to find Rax at this point, too. But As they approach Rax, uh, T-Bob accidentally kicks a rock, and Rax hears it, and they take off, and Rax gives chase. Rax, he grabs T-Bob as he ejects his uh, doggy bag compartment onto Rax, <laughs> giving him a spaghetti bath. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, just then, we get this herd of cats out of nowhere that uh, comes and starts chasing Rax, who's you know just dripping with spaghetti. But he dropped! Doesn't it look neat? He drops the sword to uh, avoid the cats, and then we get Scott picking it up, admiring that it must be real gold and jewels on the sword. Yeah, he's like, he just doesn't even care that it's a sword. He cares yeah. more about what it's made of. Right, it's like he, you know, didn't get the history lesson beforehand or whatever. He just wants the, he knows that it's valuable because of its gold and the, and the jewels that are on it. Anyway, up ahead, uh, Jackhammer kind of corners Rax as he's running away. Rax, give me the sword, and maybe I'll forget what you said to me. I, uh, dropped it. After uh, he tells Mayhem this, we cut right to Thunderhawk uh, taking off again, and this is, I believe, the same sequence as we saw before. Uh, we get Matt overhead scanning the catacomb with his sonar, and he picks up what he thinks is uh, T-Bob. Wait a minute. There's something. 
it's not a Venom vehicle, it's a T-Bomb. And I bet he's with Scott. Now I'm picking up Venom, and they're headed for the Coliseum. And Scott, we cut back to him, and he's now riding T-Bob, as Matt assumed, in scooter mode, and they appear inside the Coliseum. Venom then appears behind with Mayhem asking where the kid is, and he's still up in, uh, he's up in Jack Hammer's turret uh, at this point. Night Stalker and Shark, we see them now enter the Coliseum, with Rhino having to stop, and Bruce gets out and uh, gets into the fifth wheel buggy. I guess the the doorway had low clearance there or something. I didn't understand why. Uh, That's what I thought, and that, I'm like you. I'm thinking that they did that. I mean, I'm sure they did it just to, to advertise right, Rhino's right. features. But in looking at an old relic, I'm sure the building probably didn't have a big enough uh, entryway like Rhino was. Like you think? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if it's much taller than like Jackhammer with that turret, you know, extended out. True. Uh, it, but I, yeah, I, I think you were right. Is it was more of a let's let's uh, show off one of Rhino's features here. Um, <laughs> and uh, he took off in the buggy, and then Bruce drives in the buggy with uh, Thunderhawk now flying overhead. And uh, inside, the vehicles are now somewhat on a collision course with Venom and Matt instructing to keep them busy while he finds a place to land. Vanessa uses the whip mask to snatch the sword away from Scott, kind of like a Ghostbusters uh, uh, proton, pack, yeah. proton pack beam. I'll take that off your hands. Whip! Oh. Vanessa. Right as she uh, is going to grab it in her hands, Mayhem kind of hoodwinks it from her and tells her, good job. And she kind of <laughs> gives this frustrating you know, look for losing the sword. And while she's upset, she accidentally drives into this like rubble or something that's inside the Coliseum, causing the hatchback to pop open and spilling some of her smoke bombs. Well... Gloria then uses Aura to kind of cut through the smoke and manage somehow to grab a few smoke bombs still intact Right. and says she'll save them for later. Next, we see a very confident Miles standing up atop of the turret, and you have this uh, on the Facebook page. Yeah. Holding his mask in his left hand and a raised sword in his right, announcing, The end has come, Mask! You are powerless to stop me now! I have the sword of Caesar! Just then, Matt lands and shouts, Big deal! <laughs> I dare you to try it out on me! He raises Thunderhawk towards Jackhammer. Scott looks on in confusion. Then, a burst of smoke appears. A gleeful Miles says that Mask has met its end. He then looks to his right to see Thunderhawk racing towards him again. At last! Mask has met its end! What? But I... My sword! I destroyed you! All four Mask vehicles are now racing at different angles, head-on to the three uh, Venom vehicles that are all basically all together, mm -hmm. with a very confused and now panicked mayhem. Matt informs Miles that the sword never had power. He simply has a dud. 
<laughs> Miles restates what Matt says and then chucks it away. He sits back down in the turret and starts spraying laser beams as they race away. Matt stops with Scott racing over gladly that his dad is okay. <laughs> I'll consider that a compliment. But I saw the explosion! Scott, we just gave Mayhem a taste of Vanessa's smoke bombs. With the smoke cover, I drove Thunderhawk through the same catacomb opening you and Venom came up. But why did you go to all that trouble? It was no trouble. I wanted to divert Mayhem's attention from you. Scott hugs his dad with Bruce walking up uh, asking if he'd like a souvenir. Scott is excited but says that he's found a great use for the sword of Caesar. <laughs> Matt asks for what. Scott opens up T-Bob's doggy bag compartment and says for cutting pizza and everyone laughs as we fade out and fade <laughs> into a PSA yes and uh, Scott is uh, washing some oranges mm, that orange looks yummy too bad robots don't eat oops I'll get it while they're at the sink one of the oranges falls into the drain T-Bob says he'll get it but with Scott demanding don't touch it and uh, any food that falls into the garbage disposal should not be touched because you never know when someone might come along and accidentally hit the power switch. Thanks for the advice. I'll never do that again. Uh, didn't we uh, see this one? <laughs> we saw a very similar one, except, except it was with a fork. But, yes, it was the yeah. same PSA. A little dismayed that they did basically a reboot. Yeah, I was too, and... I don't know this this whole garbage disposal thing. <laughs> I don't know if they were different back in the '80s or whatever. But what are you supposed to do if anything kind of gets stuck in there? Just leave it there forever, and <laughs> or uh, or get like a stick to push it down in there? I don't know. Well, I I think garbage disposals, at least for me, uh, they were a nuance back in the day. Right. Back in our era, when except uh, like not like now, where it seems to be almost a commonplace in most homes. Right. So I guess they wanted to double up and make sure that kids got the point. You don't reach in there. Adults, you know, we know, yeah. hopefully, to stay away from the power button when we're reaching in for that fork. <laughs> Nonetheless, you know, there might be a couple iffy people out there that might try it. Yeah. Well, after our uh, recycled PSA here, um, what did you rate the episode? Well... I gave it a four. I found a lot of humor in it. Uh, I didn't realize I liked the funny parts like the the, the cat burp that T-Bob identifies, the uh, kind of Marilyn Monroe moment with yeah. Rax. I guess overall, really, though, I enjoyed this episode. Uh, I'll be honest, it seems to be the best of the few in this, I would call it season three that we're in. Is it season three? So it's is it season four now? Yeah. Uh, at least that's what we're calling it. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was one of the best that we've had for a while. Still not a five. Noteworthy of a five, though. Uh, I'll keep going with the highlights. I still enjoy the details of the transformations. They seem to be there. I liked that they used the tandem car or the fifth wheel buggy of Rhino uh, there at the Coliseum. That was actually a good add on to it. Uh, it may not be needed to be explained, but it was good. I still liked it. 
we actually had a good couple of battles and some mask use, finally. A fair amount, I would say. Yeah. Scott and T-Bob had their part. To some degree, there was some overkill here and there, but they were still, I would say, decently used in this episode. They weren't pesky. They weren't just there for the, the lame jokes like uh, they have been in the past. I guess what got me the most uh, really was I was not impressed with the little drawing. I shouldn't have ticked it as much, but uh, the odd drawing of T-Bob that I noticed when they were had just landed in the, uh, in the catacombs. Yeah, I guess I was still dismayed a little bit with back some time ago. We saw the four construction workers. To me, the, that fourth person was just... I don't know where he came from, and I guess I wanted more explanation of that. It, it shouldn't... Uh, as a kid, we didn't care. But now I'm like, well, I can see three. I can't see why there's a fourth construction worker. Then Shark. Shark jumping into the fountain uh, <laughs> in... in uh, I guess sub mode for what? I guess that was really what threw me for the the big curve. You know why? Why was that? Why did she use it for that? Except just to maybe as an advertising technique. However, they didn't even come out with a shark. Right. Why even bother? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I might write at a solid four. I, I could go a little higher, but not. I couldn't even make it a four point five in my eyes. So, what say you? Well, I after the, the the PSA there that they used over again, I was kind of more towards the middle. I wasn't blown away with the episode, but I didn't feel like it was a letdown either. But I thought it was, like you said, a little bit better than the last couple that we've watched in this 31 to 40 section of the show. Um, so I ended up giving it a three and a half, and I rounded the four. I think I had just the two kind of roll my eyes moments in the episode, but compared to usual, I thought T-Bob's jokes were pretty relevant and dare I even say funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rax's bug off line. Yeah, that, that was good. That really made me laugh. And uh, so I guess the writers kept me pretty entertained in this episode and I didn't notice some of those little nuances that you did with the, the drawing of T-Bob and the, the construction worker there suddenly appearing. So uh, I really like the shot of Miles on top of Jackhammer with the sword. You know, if I had to put a top ten list of the best moments so far in the whole series that we've been going over, I'm pretty pretty confident that that moment would be in there. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of a, what you going to do now, Mask? I finally got the <laughs> upper hand on you. And you know, it turns out it you know, it was much ado about nothing, but I don't know. It was just a cool moment that I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Like I said, I liked the little mini dog fight there with Thunderhawk and Manta among the ruins. Um, I liked what I interpreted as subtle nods to Ghostbusters and Star Wars in the episode. You know, it's, it was like the, the writers were aware of basically what other shows and stuff were were going on, and they kind of wrote that into the script uh, subtly, you know, without right. directly referencing it. But the animation, it continues to be different, um, and I think in a good way, from like about the first 30 episodes, I think it was Lost Riches of Rio, 
that was episode 30 that really wowed me and made it feel like a different cartoon. And I, this episode, there were some nice like side view close-ups of the characters, especially Matt when he, I think he was in Thunderhawk that one time, uh, and he was talking. Um, I don't know. I just I, I feel like the the animation has improved from the first 29 episodes or whatever, but there's still some mistakes being made that we're catching, obviously, yeah. too. So it's not like it's perfect, but it seems like they're taking enough chances and they're uh, trying to make it different for the viewer. You know, The bad things, um, like I said, the recycled PSA, it wasn't that long ago that we had that same one. Um, you know, maybe it would have been better if Scott was rinsing off some tomatoes to make some homemade pizza sauce or something. You know, even a little bit like that would have been enough to differentiate and try to incorporate with the with the episode itself. You know, but it just felt like it was a straight like, oh crap, we forgot to write a PSA this time. All right, well let's go right. back and grab it. <laughs> one more right. did. You know. Um, the battle at the end was somewhat disappointing to me. I, I liked that they had Venom pinned down right in the middle of the Coliseum there. Just the, the thought of that sounds pretty cool. And that they had to do that smoke bomb trick instead of really battling it out. Well, I guess you can't have uh, too much uh, laser fire, I guess, in an episode or something. I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, it was just seemed like it was going to be a, a pretty dramatic moment there, but just never developed. And Venom was able to sneak away, you know. Um, and then that lifter sequence, you know, it took me out of the episode for a moment. Like I mentioned before, I just the logistics of it didn't sit well with me. And I'm still not happy with the person that's in charge of the sound effects. I mean, between yeah. the masks and the watch alarms, you know, I really think the series would have been served a lot better to keep those consistent. And I mean, you know, what if the transforming sound from Transformers had changed, you know, in the middle of the... <laughs> that's That might be a, a, a bit over the top, but, you know, what oh, if... No, the, it's about that. I mean, it's just like that, though. What if the laser sounds from... G.I. Joe weapons were changed or something. Right. It's just, there's some things I think should have been precedent throughout the whole cartoon. They should have left it there. So we get that each time or we get it when it happens. It's something we're excited to see and we're used to and kind of ties the series together more. Where, I don't know, just these sound effects, they almost make you seem like a, a different cartoon or something sometimes. Um, just, I don't mind them dropping new stuff, but if you're going to do something new, do it for a few episodes or something, and then exactly. you want to go back or whatever, but I don't know. I'm just not happy with the sound effects. And then uh, just a few ticks I had. Um, I don't know, wouldn't even call this a tick, but this might be the first episode we didn't get Switchblade. That is um, true. I didn't remember one beforehand that didn't have Switchblade, which is kind of different and cool, you know. I thought maybe Rhino wasn't really necessary in this episode. You know, I like that we got to see the fifth wheel buggy, but like you said at the beginning, uh, two 
agents trying to drive three vehicles into the transport plane. And, you know, Bruce could have just easily have rode in shotgun in Thunderhawk in this episode. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I don't remember Rhino even having a conversion shot or anything other than just to get that fifth wheel buggy in the episode, you know. That's it. Wasn't wasn't really used. He might have fired a few shots when he was uh, flying in at 50 miles an hour towards the middle of the Coliseum, but uh, I don't know. Um, And then, you know, we probably all could have guessed at the beginning of the episode that this sword would turn out to be useless. But I don't know. I didn't seem to be let down as much as, like, for instance, the... uh, the Secret of Life tablet, you know, in that episode, that oh, what's the Secret of Life, and it's love, or well, I can't remember what it was at the end of the episode. And I was like, yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like I said, I think the Thunderhawk sequence was recycled at the end there, and we've used that. I'm pretty sure we've used that same sequence before in other episodes, and it's not. It's okay for them to use it over again, but. When you see the same thing happen twice, at least now, you know, when we're reviewing it, we notice it a lot more than we did when we were kids. We didn't care. So of course. Thunderhawk taking off, you know, whatever. But anyway, all right. Um, what about uh, similarities to our movie script? Well, the only one I got was where Vanessa identifies Thunderhawk, and in our movie, they basically identify Condor. They. That's about all I got. It was a loose, real loose mm-hmm. similarity, but it was there. What, did you Did you see anything? I was trying to remember that that scene, but I. The only thing I really took away was Rex's kind of attitude and defiance towards mayhem. You know, and his overall that's true. personality. That's true. And we have mentioned many times before that we tried to keep the characters uh, similar to how they're portrayed in the animated series. And there's several times in the script where Rax is very sarcastic towards Mayhem <laughs> and, well, everybody, really. Um, and he does <laughs> have a couple of those, I guess, kind of bug-off moments, it seems like. Yes. Uh, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, that's that's definitely in, the, in our movie script where... Uh, Rex's uh, personality. So, well, uh, let's head over to the poll, and we had what twelve? Let's see, twelve votes this week, and it looked like everybody's pretty much in, in agreement with us. We had, you know, we uh, have two vote, two votes for a five, uh, eight votes for a four, and uh, two threes. So I would say the majority is with us. Uh, yeah, 67%. Right. So that's good. And then we had two uh, comments. Uh, we had our buddy Scott Crawford, who left a pretty lengthy comment about this uh, episode. He says, uh, it's an okay episode, but it does have some issues. The laser seemed to come out of Sly's finger when he was dressed as Julius Caesar. How does that work? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he had a little contraption there that he, uh, I can't remember what they said, they said something about uh, Venom's some device or something, how they identified that they were on the scene. Um, Scott also says, Thunderhawk at times looks out of proportion 
but much of the rest of the cartoon looks great. I think that's what you noticed a little bit yeah. there. Why is it that Bruce Sato has to use a mic to contact the others, but when they reply, they are holding mics in their hands? I assume that this was a device to let us know that they were all talking to each other over a radio, and only the first person speaking needs to use it to get that point across. So I didn't really notice that. Was that for the uh, when they're near the transport plane? Uh, that's when they're driving down through uh, Rome. Oh, okay. okay. When when he's when he's getting that call that hearing the police saying, "Hey, we hear them at the fountain." Yeah, and then uh, Scott continues. I was confused by Bruce using his lifter mask to lift up the road to expose Jackhammer, and using his mask to lift it out from its subterranean highway. Where did Rhino drive? If he just lifted up the road in front of him, <laughs> anyway. That's true. Uh, he had to come to the same things uh, that uh, I was talking about there. The idea of the spare wheel turning round as Hurricane converts, I liked. It added a little touch to the simple conversion that you guys already alluded to in your review of the toy line. The whole part of that sequence is great with the conversion, the wheel being fired, Cliff Dagger using the shield to protect him, but his boss, Miles Mayhem, getting hit squarely in the face of it. It was great to see Miles Mayhem in the gunner's seat of Jackhammer for the most part of this episode. It really is a vehicle that requires a co-pilot. He looked like a knight riding into battle high up on his horse. <laughs> uh, he continues uh, getting to see Slyrax's eyes as he finds the sword is great, and then when he shows his true colors and portraying Mayhem is also great. I'm not too sure that the whole idea of Rax being scared off by some street cats really worked for me. I mean, where was his mask all this time? Couldn't he have True. used that to see them off? <laughs> Apologies for these comments, Doug Stone, if you are reading. I know you're a cat lover. <laughs> uh, and then Scott finishes, uh, why didn't T-Bob convert to motor scooter mode to aid in the escape from Rax? When he did eventually convert, I wasn't fond of his engine noise. It sounded pretty poor. I, I did kind of notice that as well. It was a different uh, yeah. noise for him. It almost sounded like a jalopy, <laughs> you know, going down the oh. highway. And then Scott finishes, it was a nice touch when Bruce got out of Rhino and into the ATV. Great to see this vehicle being used. So we appreciate that comment. And then also we had one from our buddy Anna. Right. This is a good episode. I like it when we see Rax operating on his own. It's interesting that he tries to keep the sword for himself, but it's also interesting that we see single members of Venom, or Mask, except for Matt Tracker, alone making independent decisions like this. We normally just see them together with the others. I also remember that this episode made me hungry the first time I saw it, and I actually bought spaghetti and meatballs like we see here. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I would. I didn't feel hungry because I watched it after lunch, so I didn't have to have that problem. But uh, like you, I, I do like seeing the independence that we see of uh, the characters when they're having to act on their own. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was pretty cool. I did like uh, like it when they try to do their own thing and kind of get away from me. I'm just playing. Right. So, uh, well, that, I guess, about does it for our review. 
and we appreciate everybody tuning in. Our next episode to review will be number 34, Peril in Paris. Uh, the plot of this consists of Buddy Hawks disguising himself as Venom agent Cliff Dagger in order to infiltrate Venom's secret base in Paris. There he discovers their secret plan to find a Nazi doomsday machine. Hmm. So this sounds pretty cool that uh, we're getting some disguising and infiltrating and uh, that's some, uh, sounds like a might be the best episode so far but we'll have to uh, <laughs> see that for our own. Right and they're just only going up over the Alps to go to Paris. Yeah. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I got a couple ideas maybe for an upcoming mass cast chat so we'll see if we can put another one of those together in the near future as well but uh, in the meantime you know thanks as always for listening and downloading and hope you'll continue to interact with agents of mask on our social media pages right and uh, like Jason said we, we have a great time we really thank you once again for joining us being a part of us and as always thanks for listening to mask cast.